Adrift by Gary Stephen Ross. When his boat struck a reef and sank in the Caribbean, Don Cavers jumped on a life raft and watched as the ocean carried him away. At first glance, it seemed like a good deal, a 12-metre yacht for US $45,000. The boat, Starlight 2, was moored at the Puerto Valero Marina near Barranquilla on the Colombian coast. Don Cavers, 76, bought it in early 2021, intending to fly from his home in Canada and test it out. The pandemic made that impossible, so he didn't actually see the boat until he arrived in Colombia in November. It was more weathered and rusted than he'd imagined, but his life of adventure, sailing and farming had made him able to fix almost anything. Cavers and his stepson, Omar Gatane Burns, planned to sail Starlight 2 1,200 kilometres to Puerto Rico. There they would meet up with other family members and they'd all sail around the British Virgin Islands for a couple of weeks before the others returned home and Cavers continued on to Miami. If he chose not to keep the boat, he thought he could probably sell it in Florida for more than he'd paid for it. Cavers and Gaten Burns set sail from Colombia in late November. Things went smoothly for two days, then halfway to Puerto Rico, Starlight 2's electrical system failed. No light, no GPS, no auto-navigation, no way to charge devices. Cavers was unperturbed, but Gaten Burns was alarmed. His phone was almost out of juice and he sent emergency emails to Caver's daughter, Annalise Grub Cavers, back in Canada. She contacted the Colombian Coast Guard and gave them Starlight 2's coordinates and accompanied it back to the marina for repairs. At the marina, it took Cavers a week to find and install a new alternator, which turns mechanical energy into electricity. Gaten Burns had to leave, so this time Cavers set sail on his own. The next day, changing course to the east, he noticed that the boat was moving sluggishly through the heavy, rolling four-metre seas. Donning his headlamp and checking below, he saw why. Salt water was sloshing on the floor. Each time a wave broke across the deck, water sprayed down through the closed hatches. The seals needed replacing. The maps he'd laid out were a sodden mess. The bilge pump had failed, so the seawater had nowhere to drain. This wasn't going to be much fun. Bucket in hand, Cavers braced his lower back against the hull and began to bail. Waves pummeled the boat as it headed north on autopilot. It was like trying to stay on a bucking bronco. By the time the water was mostly bailed, he'd badly scraped his lower back and buttocks. The next day, the electrical system failed again. Frustrated and exhausted, he suddenly felt a surge of adrenaline. Without auto-navigation, he had to hand-steer through the wind and cresting seas. The problem was how to keep his hands on the wheel as the boat rolled and pitched. Some 16 or 18 hours passed when exhaustion overtook him. He set the foresail and mainsail in opposition to each other in an effort to stall the boat. That let him doze off for a time before something jerked him awake. Steer the boat! If it capsizes, game over. As the wave subsided to two metres, Cavers realised his mainsail was damaged. He went below deck and managed to get the autopilot working again. Everything was covered in salt, including Cavers himself. Every surface was conductive, and as he tinkered, he kept getting jolted by the 12-volt battery system. 
On day four aboard the disabled yacht, the weather was calmer and cavers passed within sight of a fishing boat. He waved and hailed it on his handheld VHF radio. He had enough Spanish to make his plight known. No power, I need a location. Maritime law obliges every captain to help any boat or seaman in distress, but the crew ignored him, likely fishing illegally and worried about revealing their location. Half an hour later, it happened again with another boat. Disheartened, he went below and fell into an exhausted sleep. Sometime that night, Cavers was startled awake when Starlight 2 struck a reef. He did a quick inspection as the boat rocked and rose and crashed down again. Could he break free of the reef? Using an auxiliary battery, he got the motor started. He turned the bow into the surf, but when he put the engine in gear, the boat's rudder, hung up on the reef, tore a hole in the stern. Water flooded in. No choice, abandoned ship. Wearing his life jacket, Cavers found his handheld VHF radio, emergency locator beacon, computer, a raincoat, flare gun and a bit of food, nacho chips and crackers. He stuffed everything into his dry bag and loaded it, along with a precious 20 litres of water, into the dinghy he'd brought along for an emergency. He also had a life raft in a clamshell case as a last resort. He set it to inflate. It was no bigger than a coffin then tied it to the dinghy. In the distance, he could make out a lighthouse, perhaps on a small island. Ten kilometres distant? Fifteen? Impossible to tell. He wanted to stay with the yacht and wait through the night for help, but the boat crashed about unpredictably, and the anchor, loose on deck, threatened to damage the dinghy. It was too dangerous. When the dinghy line snagged on the reef, he had to transfer himself and his provisions to the life raft and cut it free. He was now at the mercy of wind and current. In the raft, rocked by the waves, Cavers thought of what he should have done. Stored his electronics in the dry bag, grabbed some canned food and put the oars in the dinghy so he could have rowed towards the lighthouse. At least he'd got hold of a boat bumper from the wreck, which helped him get more comfortable. Cavers was completely played out. His shorts and t-shirt were sodden and rank. His back and buttock were badly grazed but he was safe. When he looked back to where he'd spotted the lighthouse, he could see only dark, rolling waves. The raft was drifting in the opposite direction. On an organic farm in Canada, Annalise Grubcavers raises livestock with her partner. Her dad had promised he'd check in each morning at 9am. On his first day solo, he had done so. Since then, however, nothing. She knew he had a device that enabled global voice and data, but she wasn't sure it was working properly and he'd never been a reliable communicator. Now, after four days of silence, she was worried. Her dad was in good shape for his age, but he'd had a hip replacement, needed his knee replaced and was alone on an unfamiliar yacht that had previously had problems. He'd always been good at getting out of emergency situations, true, but he was also good at getting into them. Annalise contacted an organisation called BoatWatch.org which is run by Glenn and Eddie Tuttle in Florida. The Tuttles are retired FBI agents who use their investigative skills to find overdue, missing and stolen boats. The Tuttles instructed Annalise to call the Coast Guard in Puerto Rico right away. Eddie Tuttle was unequivocal. You have to have him declared missing, she said. Alert every possible authority. 
meaning the US Coast Guard in Miami, Canadian embassies in the Caribbean, emergency consular services in nearby countries, anyone who could help. Guided by the Tuttles, Annalise became the point person for concerned family and friends. Over the following days, she spent hours at her computer and on her phone, navigating the territorial complexities that arise when someone from Canada, presumed to be sailing from Colombia, a sovereign nation, to Puerto Rico, a US protectorate, on a yacht registered in Canada, goes missing, perhaps in Cuban waters. Six days after setting sail from Colombia, now adrift on the Caribbean, the weather was clear and sunny, and Cavers had ample time to reflect. He reminded himself that he'd been in tight spots before. He'd once suffered a compression fracture of a cervical vertebra, falling off a ladder. He'd sailed up from Mexico and narrowly avoided hurricane-force winds. He'd run into problems flying his little monoplane and ended up in a ditch during an emergency landing. The secret, he knew, was not to panic. One thing after another. Ration the chips and crackers. Adjust the flaps to protect against wind and water. When he got hungry, he took a slug of water. His posterior wounds had become infected, so he kept his shorts lowered. A small bucket served sanitary purposes. In his dry bag, he found a survival manual in French, and he began writing in the white spaces. When you have absolutely nothing to do but wait, it makes for a long day. Evenings passed gradually into darkness. Glazed meditation into unconsciousness. Night back into morning. Cavers lost track of what day it was. Constantly playing out rescue scenarios in my mind. Not much else for it to do, he wrote. He was drifting southwest. When a bit of debris floated by, he timed its progress. It was moving, he reckoned, at maybe three knots. The life raft was drifting more slowly. At this rate, he estimated he might cover 45 kilometres a day. If he was more or less where he imagined, he might wash up in southern Mexico, or perhaps Honduras, in three weeks or so. Cavers noticed that the antenna on his locator beacon was broken. Was it sending out an emergency signal? He replaced the broken antenna with the one from his handheld radio and noticed a button that said, hold for five seconds. He tried it, but the unit didn't do anything different. Or so he thought. In fact, nine days after Starlight 2 lost power and three days after he'd taken to the raft, he'd finally activated his emergency beacon. Caver's device was sending a signal to a search and rescue satellite, which tagged the beacon's country of registration before relaying the signal to a rescue network on the ground. Since Cavers had a Canadian-tagged beacon, personnel at the Joint Rescue Coordination Centre, JRCC, in Ontario, swung into action. The JRCC deals with about 4,000 emergency alerts a year, most of them maritime incidents. They sought to establish the beacon's location and who it belonged to, and then to alert the appropriate rescue agencies. Their task was complicated by the fact that the beacon's registration hadn't been changed over from the boat's previous owner. It took them a day to track down Caver's family and let them know they'd received the signal. A huge relief. Since the signal was coming from Cuban territorial waters, Trenton relayed the location to that country's Coast Guard. The Cubans were not especially helpful. They later claimed to have sent a vessel to the reported position but found nothing and considered the matter closed. 
Trenton was also in touch with the US Coast Guard in Miami. When the next day brought no news, it was time to issue an AMVA, Automated Mutual Assisted Vessel Rescue Alert, which interrupts the radios of ships in the area of the beacon's last location. The AMVA alert buoyed Annalise's spirits. She'd been imagining the worst. Was piracy on the open seas a possibility? Was he still alive? Kaver's life raft was stabilised by a cone-shaped drogue, a sea anchor shaped like the windsock at an airport. Because it could destabilise the raft in heavy weather, he hauled it in each evening. On his fifth day adrift, growing weaker, he noticed minnows caught in the drogue's mesh. Never been a big fan of sashimi, he wrote. Six tiny fish on a soggy cracker made a meal, his first bit of protein in days. Not sure I want to lose any more weight, he thought. He took a sip of water and dozed off. On the open sea, a ship's whistle is generally a warning to a smaller vessel to get out of the way. Jolted awake, a groggy cavers realised that a huge bulk carrier was bearing down on his raft. Having no way to evade the ship, he unzipped the raft's flap and fired up a flare, then another, and got on his radio. Cargo ship! Cargo ship! This is life raft from Pleasurecraft Starlight. I'm adrift. This is Bulk Pangea. We see you. I can't get out of your way. That's okay, said the crewman. We're here to rescue you. Overwhelmed with gratitude, Cavers admired the seamanship of the Russian captain and his Filipino crew as they brought the huge cargo ship to rest alongside his little orange raft. The Bulk Pangea's captain, Vladimir Bakar, had answered the Amber Alert and changed course to search the location of Caver's beacon. They'd found him between Cuba and Jamaica. On December 14, the Miami Coast Guard called Annalise Group Cavers to report that a freighter had responded to the Amber Alert for Starlight 2. The freighter was 16 kilometres from the beacon's last location and heading for it. Less than two hours later, Miami called again. Is your father named Don Cavers? Yes! A merchant ship has rescued him from a life raft. He's okay. He's safe. Crew members had dropped a rope ladder from the deck. Cavers didn't realise how weak he'd become until he tried to climb it. It felt, he said later, like climbing Mount Everest. On board he was checked over, deemed healthy, fed a bit of chicken and given a robe and shoes. His lacerations were attended to and then he slept. Cavers spent three days aboard the Bulk Pangea en route to Jamaica, then three more days in port, confined to a room as a COVID-19 quarantine precaution. Before he disembarked, the crew gave him a handmade rebirth certificate. Finally out of quarantine, he boarded a flight home to Canada. Annalise and her brother Tristan met him at the airport. After an emotional reunion, their dad seven kilograms lighter but otherwise fine his children drove him home. Only later did it occur to Cavers how close he'd come to dying. He was lucky. During his time adrift, the Caribbean had been calm. If he hadn't happened to activate the emergency beacon and been picked up by the bulk Pangea, he could easily have become a drifting corpse. Captain Jean House of the Joint Rescue Coordination Centre in Ontario told the CBC, 99 times out of 100, it would have gone the other way. Don Cavers is a heroic adventurer. Today, grateful to be able to play with his grandchildren and tend to his garden, he regrets that he didn't properly test the boat's systems. 
He regrets that he didn't have a portable, waterproof GPS with him. He regrets inconveniencing so many people. He regrets the loss of his uninsured boat. Mostly, he regrets the worry and grief he caused his family. It was not a hero's journey, he says. It was a fool's journey. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Readers Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price. Thank you.